Welcome back to American Conversations. We have an interesting guest today, Dr. Pierre Corey, who is part of the Frontline COVID Care Alliance, actually a co-founder, I believe. And he is going to be marching this weekend and speaking at the Defend the, Defeat the Mandates DC march on Sunday uh, at the Lincoln Memorial. Welcome, doctor. Hi, thanks for having me. So go ahead. Oh, I was going to tell us why you're involved with the march and, and what point you're trying to get across uh, with this event. Well, we're trying to we're trying to push back against essentially a, a failed policies and they've been failing on so many fronts. So, number one, this this obsession with vaccinating only that's clearly been a failed strategy and it's not based on science, you know. The number of things that we have to push back against, it's not only this over-reliance on a single strategy, which has failed, it's also the restrictions of doctors to use early treatments and the suppression of early treatments, the losses of our of our autonomy, and also the, the, the propaganda against these early treatments trying to put profits over people. And, and with all of these policies, we've had a catastrophic loss of life in this country, and it's time to push back. And then mandating vaccines is ludicrous. There's no science to support a mandate of a vaccine that doesn't protect against illness. And, and people are losing their jobs and losing their livelihoods uh, because of these really oppressive mandates. It, you know, I could go on all day, the, this illegitimate, non-scientific ignoring of natural immunity. What other disease have we ever ignored the role of natural immunity? And then you're going after children with vaccines that have not been fully vetted and tested. There's lots of concerns around safety of the vaccines. It's being ignored and suppressed and they, they, they cannot find enough people to vaccinate. They keep pushing, pushing with the vaccine. We have to push back. We have to protect ourselves from these policies. There's massive health agency and governmental overreach here and we're suffering as a result. And it, it's time we stand up and we march. Dr. Corey, can you tell us more about how the march evolved? Because, you know, we've, we have had marches. I know Children's Health Defense has had marches uh, in, in several places because I've, I've attended some. At Rutgers and up in New York have had some to, to push back in Connecticut, in California. But how, how did this march evolve? Because this is a unity march in terms of bringing several groups together. And, and it's, it's in Washington, D.C. Well, I, I would say it began with a man named Matt Toon, who's uh, an NBC executive and who is very concerned about his pr prospective loss of his career and occupation because he just he did not want to get vaccinated. He had a lot of health concerns and concerns around the safety of it. And he came to us with the idea. He felt that the U.S., we haven't been marching. We've put together no big public protests. Whereas if you look around the world, many countries around the world, they've been marching for months. They People have shown up in the streets. They've been trying to put, push back against this overreach. And here in America, where we have a, a rich history of, of advocacy and marching and, and pushing back against tyranny, right? This, this is a, a country that was born on resisting tyranny. And, and we're not doing that. And so, you know, when he came to us, he came to a group of us, so the FLCCC, we're one of the organizers um, with uh, uh, the Vaccine Safety Research Program, um, CHD, Bobby Kennedy's Children's Health Defense. Um, and, and we've all come together. We've always been together. We've been trying to educate the public, disseminate good science that's being suppressed. And all of us feel that the science around the vaccines is, is, is not being fully, it's, it's not being adequately de disseminated and it certainly doesn't support mandates. We're all, again, knowing what we know about the vaccines, we know that these mandates are absolutely illegitimate. And so 
with that first idea, we started planning it. And I will tell you, because of our advocacy, you know, especially my organization, all we've tried to do is try to help people, give them agency, figure out how to navigate this pandemic, how to treat themselves. And right now, right, vaccinated and unvaccinated, they're all getting sick. Early treatment is key. And because of that advocacy, and I think a lot of people have been attracted to our message, we've given them a solution that the government hasn't. We've gotten to be fairly well known. And, you know, we started using our social media channels. You know, Robert Malone, who's a vaccinologist and, you know, an expert, he also started, you know, putting out good science and messaging. And, and I think with that, you know, we hit a groundswell. I think people have had it and I think they're ready. Mm-hmm. That it was just the right timing. And we used our, I would say, our pulpits. I mean, this, our social media channels and, and, and you know, the acclaim that we've, we've come to. And I think, I think our message is heard loud and clear. And I think there's going to be a lot of people on Sunday. Do you think the March, the January 6th clown show had anything to do with people not marching? Or, you know, that's that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's a great question. Why haven't people I think people have been fed up for a while. And I think a lot of people have. I think those numbers mm-hmm. are growing. Um, I think January 6th is clearly an impediment. And it's a shame because January 6th has nothing to do with this. There's a long history of peaceful, well-organized right. marches. We've been working with the city of Washington. We have permits. We've we've worked with security agencies, mm-hmm. the, the, the park police. I mean, um, you know, we ha- this is First Amendment, right? We, we have mm-hmm. the right to assemble and to use our voices. And so uh, especially in a peaceful, peaceful way. And that's what we're also mentioning. You know, united we stand in peace. We march. This this really has nothing to do with January 6th. But, um, yeah, maybe that was one of the concerns. Dr. Corey, on Monday, a group of uh, the doctors that are going to be in attendance at the march on Sunday are meeting with Senator Ron Johnson. The last time he had a meeting um, with any of this community, he met with the Vax injured and I attended it. And I felt that the elephant in the room in Washington, D.C., as a very seasoned journalist, was that Senator Johnson never mentioned the Pharmaceutical Manufacturing Association, the Trade Association, which spent $325 million lobbying in 2020. If he doesn't bring up the Pharmaceutical Manufacturing Association. Would you at that meeting, because I think that's the elephant in the room in Washington, D.C., because these, these guys lobby all of the members of Congress, the Democrat and Republican. And to me, that's the bank. And that bank has to be broken in D.C. And I'm not certain the American public understand what a grip that association has not just on the politicians, but the state legislatures, the FDA, the CDC, uh, the NIH, the NIAID. And basically they are, you know, they're being pushed on the American public. Bobby wrote in his book how they have captured uh, the FDA and the CDC. And at the same time, it's not just that they've captured that, they've captured the country and they've captured the world because we export our pharmaceutical um, vaccines and drugs and everything else. Are you going to bring that up if he doesn't? So I already uh, published my statement on my personal Substack page. I put it out in the testament. This is exactly the conclusion of my statement. I've had to learn, I've had to take a crash course in how captured our agencies are. And it's exactly like you said, it's clear that the policies emanating from those agencies 
are in lockstep with what a pharmaceutical company or manufacturer would want. It's over and over and over again. Whatever they do, you ask yourself, what would a pharmaceutical company do? And that's exactly how that policy is written. And it's like you said, it's, it's, it's a complete capture of not only agencies, but what's really scary is they've captured media, social media. I mean, literally, we have these massive social media companies who have guidelines saying you cannot talk about hydroxychloroquine, you can't talk about ivermectin, you can't talk about any other repurposed drug um, on these media uh, establishments. And no major media covers this. These are safe, effective, off-patent, uh, low-profit drugs, and they're being attacked by the pharmaceutical company. And, and you know, the, pow the powers that they have to do that from, from the, the capture of all of those societal institutions that you mentioned, it's, it's massive. And it's now reached it's now reached a crime against humanity. The, the, the massive and widespread loss of life through us ceding that control to profit-making interests, it's putting profits over people and the people are getting sick and dying in numbers that we've never seen before. We did an interview with a gentleman named Dwayne Armstrong. Initially, he, he was very curious about why I said during one of our interviews that pharma was not in the business of health. It was in the business of profits over people. He had worked for two J&J &J subsidiaries. He called, we talked. I said, Dwayne, you actually are in agreement with me. The problem is that you retired 20 years ago. He's in his 80s. And I said, that's when you know you believe that there was ethics there and J&J &J had, had a code that said that patients come before stockholders. And we started to do interviews with him and that because he took a deep dive and he realized just how corrupt the industry had become. I think the part of the part of the messaging that has been lost in this is people explaining just how the pharmace pharmaceutical industry, you know, the, the history of how it just turned on its head. Uh, Bobby's book did, did a good job on, on Fauci. Uh, Empire of Pain did a good job on explaining the Sackler brothers and how, what mm -hmm. they did after World War II. But I think that the public doesn't understand that, that the medical divinity white coat can be as dirty as the Catholic priest collar. I think they have a hard time accepting that your industry, the medical industry, can be corrupted. Has anybody really talked about that to the, to the, to the American people or to anybody in any of your sittings and, and situations and, and talks across the country? I mean, I, I, yes, my, myself and my colleagues who go across country, we certainly address that. We call it out always. And what's, what's even scarier what you said you know, about how the, the average person is not aware of this total control and the nefarious uh, nature of that industry. But doctors don't. I'm a physician myself. I never knew even close to the level of corruption control that they have over the journals, over the science, over what drugs are used. And the average doctor doesn't even know this. And, and you know, this, this kind of control is, it, 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 it's corrupting science. It's absolutely corrupting science. And, and you know, your point about historically, you know, there are some phenomenal actions that pharmaceutical companies have taken in last century. They did some really sort of selfless and magnanimous things, especially around ivermectin with Merck when they donated it for free to huge portions of the world. Right. Pharmaceutical companies of old are no longer. I am sorry, but I've been studying the pharmaceutical industry in this fight. They are a criminal enterprise. It's a criminal enterprise. If you look at the last 20 years, the last 20 of the largest settlements, the civil settlements alone in those 20 reached $13 billion. The criminal settlements 
we're six billion. That doesn't even count the opioid epidemic. And then if you look at the history of the industry, what they've done with drugs, so the drugs like Avandia and Bextra and Vioxx, many tens and dozens of thousands of people were dying of heart attacks. They suppressed the information around toxicity. They don't care that people die. They put profits over people. They've been doing it for decades. It's not just COVID. The only thing that's new about COVID is the massive and incredible scale of suffering and death. And it's on everybody's global kitchen table for the for the first time at the same time. Yes. Dr. Corey, do you also, I mean, is do you remind people that there was a time in the media when people did discuss vaccination safety? They did have conversations about medicine. I mean, I'm old enough to know, and this is before the days of Oprah Winfrey, uh, when she became so politically correct and denied that people talked about vaccine safety. Phil Donahue had shows all the time in America about back safety. Mike Wallace did a piece for 60 Minutes. Even Katie Couric, who I started out in the industry with, when she was at the Today at NBC uh, in the Today Show, she did pieces on vaccine safety. Do you feel that when you're talking to your audience that the public knows that what is happening today is very different than what was done pre-internet? I think at this point, they have to understand that. I mean, to know that mm-hmm. in huge, you know, it, there's so many avenues of the press and media where you cannot mention or even question, and they, they literally write the rules, anything perceived as even questioning the safety or efficacy of the vaccine. They, they tar it with, you know, anti-vaxxer, anti-vaxxer, anti-vaxxer. You cannot have an open debate. You cannot have an open discussion. Um, it's just not being covered. I mean, it's a it's a complete propaganda and censoring machine. And they use those two tools to 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 this fearsome powers. I mean, it's widespread societal propaganda and censorship. The only message that comes through safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. We know the underlying data. We know the underlying science. It's anything but. And and even when those the data when when even when the media can't hide it anymore. Right. We, we know the entire country right now is getting sick, whether they're vaccinated or not. Some of the vaccinated are going to the hospitals, quite a few of them. Other countries are showing much more people in the hospitals are vaccinated. So so the narrative that they've, they've hewed to so strongly, they, they keep just doubling down. They say, no, you know, you need to get vaccinated because it prevents death. It, it's, it's literally all propaganda. The science does not support what they're saying. And it's every newspaper, every social media crying out, ringing across the line, I feel so bad for my fellow citizens. They don't know what to believe. You know, they're hearing the things so repetitive, so repetitive, so repetitive, and so false. This is false information that's flying around at speeds and 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 to a depth that we've never seen before. Uh, what I don't understand is how did they think they would get away with this? Or did they, you know, I mean, because it's so massive, the, the crime against humanity is so massive. How What did they think the end game is? I mean, just money and they'll be fine and they have immunity or what? You know? it's, it's hard to see how they thought how this was going to end up. I think they're just, I don't know who's driving this or how they're going to cover it, but I'm sure they're going to cover their influences here. But when, you know, this is starting to crash, right? The narrative is starting sure. to crash. The data and the science and the truth is coming out. And, and there are people who are going to be responsible for crimes against humanity. And I just, I, you know, I said in my statement, it, it, it's, it's time for the lawyers. It's time for the courtrooms. It's time for the judges. And then it's time for the prisons. Yeah. It's time for the prosecutors. 
Yeah. Yes. It's really time for the prosecutors, but I'm afraid that, that there's no prosecutors right now. I, I remember, you know, when we first, uh, when I first covered the, the 2002, the Catholic Church as it, as it imploded, that comes to that critical tipping point moment. But you really need somebody that's going to really step forward, and it takes a small team of people. But and it's not it's not the civil attorneys. It's the prosecutors and it's the judges when they wake up. It was Constance Sweeney in Boston who released the uh, the archives in one of the cases, and that that broke it wide open in Boston. Um, and and you know the domino effect in the Catholic Church was huge. Do you do you think on Sunday? Because you and from my understanding, uh, CNN is going to be the pool. You're going to have uh, Fox is going to cover it. Uh, I, I I think that uh, ABC is going to be there. The Washington Post has made some inquiries. Do you do you think that they're going to give you a fair shot of the messaging, or you think they're going to come down hard because a lot of them have denied, you know, uh, the message of truth? Yeah, thank you for that question. I you know the the narrative is crumbling. Things are changing, and I think. I think we're going to open up this stuff. However, I am not sure that most of the major media will do it favorably. I just looked at an article today in the Washington Post. They, 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 the amount of falsehoods in the first few paragraphs was astounding. And they're called, what did they say? I haven't read it. What did they, they say? An anti-vax march. They called. They, 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 they ridiculed the people for questioning the safety and efficacy of these vaccines. They called the vaccines one of the greatest inventions in medical inventions in history. At a time when the world is collapsing under this pandemic, after a full year plus now of vaccinating everything that moves. And this is one of the greatest medical, I mean, the article is already attacking us as anti-vaxxers. We are not technically anti-vax, we are anti-mandates. We're pushing back against anything, the loss of the freedoms of physicians, you know, these totalitarian dictates on how we can practice medicine, our access to life-saving medicines, you know, the actions that they've taken to influence pharmacists for not filling safe FDA-approved drugs. I mean, the intrusions in our ability to practice and live freely and guard our own health and be agents in our own health, that's what we're fighting back. It's not just the vaccines. It's way bigger than that, but they want us to, they want to give us as little credibility as possible, and they're going to paint this as anti-vaxxers. And it's, it, it's I think that's not going to work, though. That's that's what I really think. I think the people understand now that there's that there's been a lot of lot of deception, a lot of censorship, and a lot of propaganda because all of that propaganda is now easily disprovable. It's not holding up. A friend of mine told me that one of one of his um, news me- uh, meetings at one of the networks, they were talking about phrasing it as you know it was great science because it was mRNA. Uh, except for mRNA has not proven to be a success, is what I said to him. He said, yes, but instead of saying that the vaccine has failed, that this, in fact, is a great technology. And I said, for what? For what? I said, I mean, how many people sitting around that newsroom have any science, any medical background? I said, that's that, that's a PR campaign because that's not based upon fact. I said, that that sounds like something that the, they would do, you know, at, at, uh, at Edelman or something like that in terms of posturing for this. Do you think, I mean, and and another person said to me the other day who was a doctor and a scientist, um, she said to me, she said, we've got all the best minds in the world, some of the smartest minds in the world on the same side as, as you, Dr. Corey. And yet they can't figure out how to end this game. And I said, well, part of it is because people in the medical field really aren't fighters by nature. That's not, they're, they're caretakers. They're, they, they're, they have that bedside manner. 
But do you see that there's got a light at the end of the tunnel and in, in, uh, in terms of this gal galvanizing with more momentum? I, I really do. I, we cannot go on endlessly. I mean, they cannot fail this spectacularly and be able to uphold, uphold us in a state of failure. Um, of course, we're going to rise up and we're going to take back our freedoms. And they can't, they can't keep doing this. It's absolutely failing. And so I do see a light in the tunnel. And I think people are starting to understand that there, might, there should be a different way. We might not have to, you know, huddle in our houses and mask constantly everywhere. It's now probably an it's an endemic virus. We've got to learn to live with it. Let's focus on the things that we know work, like treatments. And I think once more sensible approaches that not are not policies written by pharmaceutical industry. If you just have good common sense, you know, well-meaning doctors and citizens engaged in participating in how to achieve that health status, I think we're going to be in a much, much better place. And I'm looking forward to that. Who do you think made the decision early on to stay home till your lips are blue, then go into the ER, and then they put you on ventilators? Because that, to me, that that person, that group of people that made that decision from the very, very beginning, I think should be held accountable because that was the wrong treatment for a disease that caused blood clots. It should that people should have been put on blood thinners. So how did that come about? So I have to. I mean. The real, as I have understand, the real decision-making power amongst the health agencies in our governments really starts with Anthony Fauci. Although he's only in one institution, he's been at the helm for 40 years. He's forged relationships amongst the three, uh, three agencies. And from what I've understood, and this is in Bobby Kennedy's book, and he lays it out very, very clearly, nothing happens in those three agencies unless he's okay with it. So when you ask yourself, I would ask yourself, who is leading those agencies? And, and when you say, when you just brought that up, and this is excellent, that for until monoclonal antibodies, they specifically offered nothing to people who are sick at home, not even vitamin D. And we have hundreds of papers showing that if you maintain a good vitamin D status, your chances of going to the hospital, your chances of dying are little. They know, the agencies know that we've had decades of data showing massive vitamin D deficiency, especially in the low income uh, northern parts of the country. Um, and, and they wouldn't even recommend vitamin D. And so, so that suppression of early treatment is done for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to leave that early treatment market open for profitable, novel pharmaceutical agents. Things like Molnupiravir and Paxlovid, which they're now trying to foist on society. And those drugs are toxic. They've been barely tested. And we actually, and one of them actually doesn't even work. I mean, in the country of India canceled their contract to buy Merck's drug because they know it doesn't work. Paxlovid is a highly toxic drug. It has so many interactions. You can barely mm -hmm. give it when other, someone else is on other medicines. I mean, these are absurdities. These are obscenities. That I mean, we live in the United States of Pharma. That is all it is. We live in a society that is literally controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. And these are the these these are these absurd actions that you get that they're foisting these dangerous drugs and they're suppressing uh, really effective alternative treatments. No, they're killing, they're killing people. You were basically saying yeah. that this is a legalized cartel. Absolutely. Well, I've, I've been organized crime. Yeah. There's narco states. And then there's pharma states, right? There are states where, you know, the drug lords, the illegal drug lords literally have taken over many institutions in society. I think it's a fair analogy to say that if you look at this pandemic and the behaviors of our institutions, they look like they are completely controlled and under the influence of the pharmaceutical. Well, they're drug lords, too. Absolutely. Maybe we should change Fauci's name to Chapo. You know what? <laughs> 
be that would be totally reasonable to me. I think his his actions are totally consistent with protecting the interests of the pharmaceutical companies and their profit making abilities constantly. And I do think it is ironic that that his wife Christine Grady is head of the ethics at NIH, which which you know in theory is to oversee what they're all doing ethically. It's it's unimaginable. It, it, it's absolutely it, it, it. There's there's no words for the levels of absurdity and depravity that we're seeing uh, coming out of those agencies. I mean, we need to look forward to see how we're gonna how, what are we gonna do in the future once Fauci falls, right? Once El Chapo falls, um, and people really get to see how those agencies work, how intertwined they are with the pharmaceutical industry. I think we need to get really good policy, folks. And we need to start talking about how to restructure and protect those agencies so that they really do have as a primary purpose, the welfare of the U.S. citizens as their primary purpose, not the obscene profits of a pharmaceutical company. And, and that restructuring, I'm really looking forward to seeing and I hope that we succeed at it. But we first have to topple the old one. You know, we have to show that this is complete corrupt, corrupt exercise and that we're not going to take it anymore. One, we have interviewed uh, a lot of vax injured since June of last year, um, and and I was stunned to learn how many of them in the early rollouts were physicians. I mean, it made perfect sense because they were in the hospital, so they signed up, and and they were dental hygienists, and and you know, in the industry, in the health industry. But many of them that are injured are just devastated and in despair about the reaction of their industry towards them. It's, it's shocking. Talk to, talk to the audience about the emotional side. You as a doctor, because we've, we've interviewed these, these physicians and these people in the healthcare who were injured and they've shared it too. How does, what kind of a toll does it take on you? Because it has to be, it has to be a high toll. Yeah. Well, this is it. Listen, those of us who've spoken up and spoken out, you, you're basically guaranteed one thing. You're, you're guaranteed the loss of your livelihood. Um, you know, myself, I've gone through three jobs. I've had to leave three jobs. People are not speaking up because the desire to remain employed is so great. And I'm so disappointed in that so few have spoken up. And, and the reason why they can't bring up vaccines or bring questions of vaccines is you literally have this, you know, what, what some are calling this mass formation psychosis. That is so many of the doctors really, because they've been whipped up in the media, right? The only people filling the hospitals are the unvaccinated. If only everybody would vaccinate, then we'd be out of this. And so the blame and the victimization, you know, uh, the, or the really the scapegoating of the unvaccinated is, has reached such, reached such a terror pitch yeah, you have normally critically thinking, highly intelligent people from all walks of life who literally hate the unvaccinated. And, you you know, if you even bring anything up to go against the vaccine, you're immediately treated the same way. And so, you know, I think most people are scared. They realize that they only have one little voice. If they bring up a concern about a vaccine, they're going to be punished. They're going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose relationships. They're going to lose the respect of their fellows. And they're going to lose the camaraderie and their social relationships. And so it's just everything's been reinforcing, reinforcing this pro-vaccine stance coming from the top and it's spread throughout society. But I will also say that there's been a lot of courageous people who have spoken up. I work with them. I'm now on, you know, with, with a large network of colleagues who've seen this insanity from the beginning, who've known the data around the vaccine injuries. I mean, come on, VARS, the database of vaccine injuries, that was exploding already in January of 2020 within weeks 
of those vaccines rollout, we were seeing numbers being entered into VARs that we've never seen before. A lot of people were asking those questions from the beginning, but but the amount that we're speaking out and that actually have a voice, because the other problem, even if you speak out and you lose your job, you can speak all you want. The, the, the social media channels will shut you down. They will deplatform you. They will they will block your tweets. Um, and, and so it's very hard to, to get a voice. There's a lot of alternatives now, though. People are moving away from those platforms. I mean, they're becoming irrelevant. So I, I hope so. I just yeah. wish that process would become faster. Yeah. I think people have to remember that at some point they're going to meet the face of God and God's going to say, when did you know and what did you do about this? I and, agree. And, and to me, to me, the social media, losing your job, I, although, I, you know, I'm, I'm empathetic to all of that. Uh, you know, some people some people have to have to be acknowledged and they have to be all over social media. I'm not. But they also have to be you have to feed their families. But but I think that that part of the war here is that people think that there are not any alternatives out there. Yep. And they and they don't realize that, you know, once you do speak out and you do see the sea of change. Do you think that this because let's get back to the march. Do you think because um, Mary Holland and Catherine Austin Fitz are in Brussels and they're going to hand the torch to Washington, D.C. for the march? Do you I mean, do you think this is a turning of the tide? I certainly hope so. I mean, that's the other thing. I'm glad you brought that up because we should remind ourselves we're D.C., but we're marching with our brothers and sisters across the world. There are many countries, at least 40 countries marching on Sunday. Um, you know, a lot of different uh, doctors and physicians and citizens and all around the world know this. And I think that's really symbolic. The fact that Europe, you know, is almost going to touch the hand of the U.S. and that we are in solidarity because this is a global enterprise. You know, when I, when I said that this is a, a, a criminal and non-scientific policies, They've enveloped the world, almost all of the Western world, if not, if not the whole world. And so, you know, the whole world needs to stand in solidarity back, back. And I and I think I think that's really uh, it's it's a really important point that we must emphasize. It's not just a few cranks, you know, or fringe, you know, anti-vaxxers that they want to paint us here in the United States. There are growing numbers of us in, in, in all across the world in every country who are fighting back against us. And in Israel, where four boosters don't work. Uh, Pfizer's taken the market there, and we know that the, you know Argentina and other countries where the U.S. pharmaceuticals have distributed and contracted with for these vials. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of sad stories that are out there. A lot of sad stories. What is it? What is your going to be your message on Sunday, Dr. Corey? You know, mine. I, I have to call attention to the, the 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 one the one aspect that's nearest and dearest to me because it's the one I've lived the most, which is that, you know, we need to let doctors be doctors. We need to go back to allowing them the autonomy and the freedom to practice medicine, to learn how to treat disease, to have access to medicines and without restriction. And, 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 you know, our inability to do that, I think has caused incredible amounts of harms. You know, none of, the, of my colleagues that are in hospitals all across the country, they cannot deviate from these rigid protocols that are written by pharmaceutical companies. And so, you know, I, I wanna fight back and my message is really gonna be about, you know, putting, putting physicians back at the forefront, being a, a major role in that physician-patient relationship, take out the agencies, take out the hospitals and just make it about a physician and a patient as it always was. And, and we need to go back to that. And that's going to be one of my main messages. Many times, um, some younger journalists come to me 
who have been covering this and I've gotten into arguments with them because they, in fact, are working for some of the quote unquote stellar news organizations that um, are basically bought um, and not doing their job. And what I have said to the younger journalists is, have you asked any, have you, have you looked into the corruption of the medical boards? Have you looked into the control of CDC's protocols to the hospital administrators? Have you followed the money uh, from, from the Office of Faith-Based and the HHS and the $2 trillion and the money that didn't go into barter for therapeutics? Have you, I mean, I go down a list. I mean, I, because it's everything that I've done for the last two years. And I'm surprised that the press doesn't, to this day, still doesn't get what the bigger picture is here about corruption. So I'm not surprised that the Washington Post would, in fact, write something that you're all anti-vaxxers because they don't understand. Is there anybody that's going to be on the stage that's going to be able to talk to the press? Because one of the stories we're going to cover is how the press covers you guys on Sunday. Yeah. And on Monday. Okay. Uh, because I'm very, I, I'm, I'm now to the point where the story is about the press covering people because they're part of, they're, they're another octopus arm on covering up the story. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I've talked about the censorship in the media, but, you know, you, if you're an investigative journalist, you know, there's no such thing anymore. Nobody does journalism. I don't know what they do. I think it's it, it's just marketing. It, it, it's bizarre. I don't see those hard questions being asked. I don't see people digging and trying to find those answers. I mean, what happened to the journalism of old where they, they it was about finding out the facts and the truth. All you hear is this recycled messaging, which is constant. And it is an absolute failure of the fourth estate. I mean, they got captured like the agencies did. And and I'm glad you're talking about that. And I think I think it, if I think that topic of how we're being covered is almost as important as what what you know we're going to be seeing at that march because they're part and parcel of two things that we're fighting. Well, they've yeah. become irrelevant too. Yep. But anyway, I have to jump off, Christine. We have a, yeah. So a little... we need to end this with you, Pierre. But uh, good luck on Sunday. Anything else you want to say? I just want to say that this disease is treatable. There are available, widely available, and effective treatments. And, and I don't think you should be scared anymore. The disease is becoming milder. And with these treatments, we can all get through just fine. And so I want to be, I want to have a message of hope. And we just got to fight back against the censorship of the propaganda and the restrictions. And we'll, we'll get to a better place. Thank you. Good luck on Sunday. We'll see you there. Thanks, Christine. Yeah.